0: Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hi guys, it's Aiden. Welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm your host, you know that sorry i'm trying to come up with new ways to start this show it's really hard to do an intro and like sound natural i'm not good at it you guys know that by now (laughs) welcome back i hope everyone's doing good this week so uh, this week interesting things kind of happened to me um so i my my mom and i have been watching a lot more movies together like she she's been up a little bit later than often because my mom goes to bed at like 7 o'clock because she's tired all the time she's like an old lady already um, and I I have been getting her to watch like movies from like my childhood that she would have watched with me and I want to see how they like hold up now that she hasn't seen them in like 10 years <laughs> 10, 10 or more years so uh this week I made her watch uh uh one of the Narnia movies I made her watch Prince Caspian with me <laughs> And, like, halfway through the movie, when we were listening to Aslan talk, my mom was like, is that Liam Neeson? And I had to Google it. It is Liam Neeson. I never caught on to the fact that Aslan was voiced by Liam Neeson. I just, I was just like, that's Aslan. I never put two and two together. And I I was also telling my mom about how uh, Aslan's kind of like an allegory for, like, God and Jesus. In Narnia, at least I think he is, I'm pretty sure. And my mom was like, Lion Jesus, Lion Jesus, Lion Jesus. And then, um, obviously, at the end of uh, Prince Caspian in the movie, there's that like that giant water monster that takes out the Telmarines. And my mom was like, Water Jesus, Water Jesus, Water Jesus. And Water Jesus means... Um, <laughs> He takes that bridge that that Telmarine uh, soldier is on, and my mom called it the charcuterie board of death. (laughs) And now she won't stop talking about it because she thinks she's hilarious. (laughs) So that happened to me this week. Um, Alright, getting away from my life, (laughs) let's get on to the topic at hand this week. Today we are discussing Eliza Schuyler Hamilton. Now, uh, obviously, today I'm not recording on Independence Day. Tomorrow is Independence Day, but when you guys hear this, it will be Independence Day. I'm not American. I don't celebrate Independence Day. Canada just had its Independence Day on July 1st. And I'm gonna be doing, probably next episode, uh, something a little more Canadian for you guys since I feel bad that I didn't prepare an episode for, uh, Canada Day, uh... But I thought for Independence Day, it would be interesting to discuss Eliza. Also because uh, the Hamilton movie is out today. I have not gotten the chance to watch it yet uh, because I'm recording this. Uh, After this, I am going to watch it and give you my thoughts because I was not able to go see it in a theater, uh, like a like a theater theater with, like, live actors, because I'm poor, um, but I'll let you guys know on, like, Twitter later, uh, what I think about Hamilton, so, obviously, Eliza Schuyler Hamilton was the wife of Alexander Hamilton, he was one of the founding fathers of the United States, I believe he was the first tr- secretary of the treasury of the United States, and I believe he's also on the American $10 bill, uh, I'm excited to talk about her, let's get into it. Alright, so, Eliza was born Elizabeth Schuyler in Albany, New York, on the 9th of August, 1757, to Philip Schuyler and Catherine Van, oh no, Rensselaer? I think that's how you pronounce that. Why did I not practice that? Why am I so bad at this? I am so sorry. Um, so, Albany, New York is, like, it's this town, like, outside of New York City. It's not, like, just outside. It's more like, a. 200 kilometers Oh, If Americans are listening to this They don't know what I'm talking about in terms of kilometers I don't know how much it is in miles But you can do the conversion It's about 257 kilometers Outside of New York City um, And obviously Being born on the 9th of August Makes her a Leo And we all know how I feel about astrology Now we have never Discussed a Leo at this point in time So let's talk about her so, Leo personalities, they're, like, affectionate, warm, and cheerful people. Leos can be counted on to bring sunshine into people's lives. They are dignified, playful, ambitious, and loyal, and they're known for being exceptionally generous, which I think sounds a lot like Eliza. Eliza was a very cheerful individual and lovely to be around. Like, I... There are endless documents of people who met her talking about how nice and pretty she is. Like, it's it's ridiculous. And I also think you're going to notice her, like, fierceness, like, her underlying fierceness and loyalty loyalty to her husband, despite some disrespectful shit he does a lot later. We're going to talk about that in a second. Now... Let's get into Eliza's very illustrious family. So, uh, let's start with her father's side, the Skylers. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I didn't know how to pronounce her last name for the longest time. I was pronouncing it like Schuler for some reason. Don't know why I was doing that. I only found out the proper pronunciation when I started listening to the Hamilton soundtrack for this. So, thanks Hamilton soundtrack for telling me it's pronounced Skyler. Um, all right. Now, the Skyler's are tied in a lot with uh, New York history because they're very tied in with the f- formation of New York. So let's talk about a little New York history. Now, before it was called New York, it was called New Amsterdam. And uh, now you may th- not think that the Dutch were any kind of colonial powerhouse at the time. And honestly, it surprised me, too. when my high school history teacher told me. But the Dutch once ruled the world, as he put it. Now, one of uh, their most prosperous colonies was New Amsterdam, which was situated on about one-third of modern Manhattan Island. Because of this, many Dutch families migrated to the colony to make their fortune. And one of these was the Schuyler family, who came in about the 1650s. And like a whole bunch of families who came, they got very rich very fast. Actually, fun fact... uh, Eliza's three-time great-grandfather was the first mayor of Albany, New York, so that's cool. Now, it's also the same story on Eliza's mother's side, the Van Rensselaers? I want to say Rustlers, it's not Rustlers, it's Rensselaers, I think. Uh, they were also a Dutch family, and by the time Eliza came around, they were one of the most wealthy and politically influential families in New York, so it's safe to say her, her both of her families had very good pedigrees, and she was by no means poor, or anything like that. Now her parents, let's actually get into her parents. Um, her parents were kind of like superstars. Her father was like this like awesome general dude who had served in the French Indian war. Uh, he started off as a captain and then he became a ma- major, but we'll get more into his military service later. Cause it gets more important. I also want to quickly mention that, um, Eliza's dad, uh, was a landowner, which means he almost definitely owned slaves uh, which sucks, and I obviously don't condone that, uh, it's not cool that he owns slaves at all, um, anyway, sorry, um, uh, Eliza's mom, Catherine, was also known as Kitty, was kind of a badass bitch and a matriarch for the whole family. Uh, she spent a lot of time managing the house while her husband was away being a general. So, it's safe to say Eliza had some pretty great role models for parents, other than the whole slavery stuff with her dad. I don't know how mean he was as a landowner. I couldn't find anything on that. I don't know. Um, now let's talk about uh, Eliza's childhood. So, she actually grew up in a pretty big family. She had a lot of siblings, but here's the thing. Now, the official count of her siblings that her mother actually gave birth to is 14, but only her and seven other other siblings lived to adulthood. Because we know from previous episodes that no one washed their hands for a very long time, and people literally died all the time back then. I think the life ex- expectancy back then was like mid-50s, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so, Eliza was closest with her eldest sister, Angelica, and her younger sister, Peggy, uh, but she would also watch, like, other brothers and sisters go. For example, she had, uh, two little brothers named John who both died until eventually her mom had a third boy who they also named John, and that name finally stuck to a kid because that kid didn't die, and then they had a boy named Philip. And then after that, uh, they had two girls named Cornelia, uh, but it only took one kid dying for that name to stick to a kid, and at some point her mom gave birth to a brood of triplets that all died. Can you imagine giving birth to triplets and they just, like, all three of them die? (sighs) Like, you could die from giving birth to one baby. Imagine giving birth to three babies and then it's just, like, not worth it because they all die. (sighs) And then, uh, Eliza had other younger siblings. One, one kid they named after, uh, Eliza's mom's surname, like, her her maiden name, that I'm not gonna try and pronounce again, and then they had another boy who died, and finally they had little Catherine as the youngest, which, of course, they named after Eliza's mom. We're just gonna, we're just gonna call Eliza's mom, uh, Mama Skylar, so that we don't get confused, because there are a lot of people named the same things in this story. And you're also going to find it's very common with these people to name kids after dead siblings. You're going to see what I'm talking about very soon. Anyway... Back to Eliza herself. Now she would have grown up in the Schuyler mansion which was just outside of Albany and as a girl she was very close with her father. Uh, Eliza accompanied her father to the meeting of the Six Nations which I believe was like an indigenous uh, meeting during the uh, French-Indian War and there she actually met Benjamin Franklin when he stayed briefly with the Schuyler family while traveling. Now uh, I got a bit about her personality from like her early childhood. She was said to have something of a Tomboy air when she was young. Uh, throughout her life, she retained a strong will and impulsiveness that many people noted that she had. Uh, James McHenry, who was one of uh, General George Washington's aides, who uh, also worked with her future husband, said, "And I quote: Hers was a strong character with its depth and warmth, whether of feeling or temper controlled, but glowing underneath, bursting through at times with some empathetic expression." Now, I couldn't find much of Eliza's education. Like, there's not, like, a copy and a list of what she would have learned. But uh, there are a few things that we do know. And I can obviously make some educated guesses based on her social status. She obviously could read and write. That's very evident. Uh, She mostly would have been taught household management, some embroidery, so she could have sewing circles, which was a common pastime for women at the time. She just would have been taught how to be a good wife. That was the main goal of her education. Uh, She may have also been able to speak French considering it was a very fashionable language for the time period. French has been a very uh, fashionable language uh, in upper-class societies for a very long time. While a lot of people don't really like the French, they really like the French language. Uh, Now I kind of want to get into what she looked like for a second because I honestly had no idea what she looked like and I knew I had been deceived by the Hamilton play. Making me think that Alexander Hamilton looked anything like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Because I hadn't done my research when I first saw that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was playing Alexander Hamilton. Uh, uh, I But I really dig that. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda didn't hire all white people to play these characters, which is cool of him. Now, for some reason, I saw Eliza as, like, a blonde. I don't know why. That's just how I imagined her. But thanks to the handful of portraits we have and descriptions from people who met her and described her, turns out she's like pretty much the opposite in looks to what I thought. Uh, she was a lot more dark-featured, with dark hair, dark eyebrows, and even dark brown eyes. And like I said earlier, all the accounts that I read about her will not shut up about how pretty and nice she is. So that's good for her. All right, the Revolutionary War. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> all right, so in 1775, the Revolutionary War had started, and if you're keeping up with the math, Eliza would have been about 18 when it started. Now, when I was reading uh, stuff about what Eliza's, like, experience was during the Revolutionary War, those articles would not shut up about, like, how exciting it must have been to be, like, coming of age during the Revolutionary War and stuff, but as a person also coming of age during a very uh, historically unprecedented time like this pandemic, I can tell you for sure, that, uh, obviously, the Revolutionary War and this pandemic are very different, but, um, I can tell you that living through history is only fun when you know how it ends. Obviously, we know the Revolutionary War ends well for the, uh, colonies, but, like, Eliza didn't know that. I- if I was her in this time period, I would have been scared shitless. Um, I'm sure she was probably excited by, like, all the new ideas and enlightenment and shit, but, like I said, history- Living through history is only fun when you know how it ends, and if I knew how this pandemic ended, uh, if I knew this pandemic ended well, uh, I'd- I'd probably be just chilling instead of being stressed and depressed all the time. Anyway, back to Eliza. Enough about me. Uh, now I'm not gonna go too deep in the war because most of it's not really important, to Eliza, but obviously we still have to talk about it. Now, uh, we know Eliza's father was a military man. He actually decided to side with the colonies rather than Britain. Uh, he was a very important man in the Continental Army. And because of this, Eliza met a lot of important figures in this time period as her father set up his base in Albany, New York. Now, one of the people who briefly stayed with them in 1778 would have been Alexander Hamilton. Now, we're going to get back to him, I promise, uh, but nothing really happened in this first meeting other than the pair, like, maybe becoming familiar uh, with each other's names, but other than that, nothing happened. Now, in 1779, Eliza's father participated in the Battle of Saratoga, which was one of the first times the American army almost entirely defeated the British since the war had started, and it's probably the battle that Philip Schuyler is best known for. He also served on the Continental Congress during the war, making him not only a general, but also a politician, which is pretty interesting. All right, guys, you ready? It's time to talk about him. Alexander Hamilton! (laughs) Now, as much as I'd like to just strictly talk about Eliza, Alex is also a very important part of her story. So, we're going to go a bit into his background and how they met and, like, what he had gotten up to up until the point where he met Eliza. Alright, so picture it. Winter, February, 1780, Morristown, New Jersey. <laughs> now, Eliza had been sent to New Jersey uh, to see her Aunt Gertrude. And also that same winter, General George Washington, yep, future president and also the guy who, uh, whose teeth were made out of slave teeth, never forget that. Um, He had his army at Morristown, New Jersey, and Eliza's aunt, in all her splendor, decided to throw a ball at her house for the army. And that's where their eyes first locked across the ballroom. Now, Eliza and Alex were very different people in terms of social status. Eliza was descended from a rich Dutch family, and well, Alexander had kind of been pulling up himself by his bootstraps his whole life, but he did have a few things going for him. Other than, uh, his lack of social status, he was handsome and charismatic, which sometimes can matter more than money. (laughs) Now, when we talked about him in history class, especially in the American history class, uh, that I was in, my history teacher was, like, kind of, like, I wouldn't say he was, like, bragging about him but he was he once said that uh had alexander been born in the united states he would have almost definitely had been president i'm sure if he had uh gotten the chance to run for president they probably would have wavered the whole you have to be born here to be a president because after all he was a founding father so let's talk about uh alexander's background now, Alexander was born in the Caribbean either in 1755 or 1757. No one's quite sure what year is right because uh, there are two different uh, years that he mentioned. He was very vague about what year he was born. So he is either two years older than Eliza or they're the same age. I don't know. Now, uh, he had born been born out of wedlock as the... A grandson of a Scottish l- lord, and uh, his mother, who was half British and half French. Now, I did read a theory that some people think that Alex's mom was, like, a mixed woman, but uh doesn't look like it's true. Uh, I think the theory's been debunked. I don't know. Now, uh, Alex's father actually abandoned the family when Alex was very young because, surprise! Alex's mom was already married. Uh... <laughs> She'd been married previously, and apparently Alex's dad didn't want Alex's mom to get arrested for bigamy, which was a very serious crime. So, um, Alex's mom moved Alex and his older brother James to St. Croix? St. Oh, God. I thought that'd be easier to pronounce. I'm sorry. Uh, when they were on the island, she supported her kids working odd jobs, odd jobs until she unfortunately contracted yellow fever and passed away when Alex was either 13 or 11. Now Alex and her and his older brother were passed on to their cousin and that didn't last long because the cousin ended up killing himself and after that the boys were split up. James became a carpenter and Alex went to live with a merchant where he actually became a savvy businessman. He was also an avid reader as the only thing that he had gotten to keep when his evil stepfather had uh, took everything away from his mom was a few family books that someone was able to buy back for him. Now, in Alex's late teens, he basically got the 1772 equivalent of a scholarship. He wrote, like, some essay or something, and, like, his community was, like, so impressed by it uh, that they raised enough money to send him to the American colonies for edu- his education. Uh, he would have attended King's College, which is now Columbia University, and it's here where he got his revolutionary spirit. Now, he wrote several anonymous pamphlets about... Uh, about, like, revolution and stuff. But unfortunately, due to the beginning of the war, Alex had to drop his studies. But lucky for him, after the war, he was actually able to finish his education and become a lawyer, which is nice. I'm glad he got to finish his education. Now, he joined the army and participated in a few battles, and Alex was absolutely determined to gain glory on the battlefield. And that's how he wanted to rise up. But then he got the offer to be General Washington's aide. And he couldn't turn that down. I mean, he wasn't stupid. Uh and that's the man Eliza met that night in seventeen eighty. Now she was far above him in rank, but Alex was charming and smart, and despite the difference in status, they got along well. Now, the relationship between them quickly grew even after he left Morristown, New Jersey, for a short mission to negotiate a prisoners exchange. Um, only a month after Eliza had arrived. Now, uh while gone on the prisoner exchange, Alex wrote Eliza uh, lots of letters which continued the relationship. Now most of the love letters no longer exist as uh, there's a theory that Eliza may have burned them at some point for a certain thing that Alex did uh, we're going to talk about that later uh, when he came back to Morristown uh, Elizabeth's father was also there as a representative of the Continental Congress and by early April they were officially engaged with Eliza's father's blessing. Now this was weird in this family, uh, because, uh, the Skylar girls seem to be suddenly known for eloping, because, um, Eliza's older sister, Angelica, I believe, had very recently, or was going to, uh, elope, uh, at some point, and, um, Eliza's youngest sister, Catherine, would also end up eloping as well. And at long last, Alexander and Elizabeth's wedding arrived on, the 14th of December, 1780. Now, Alex had actually left all the wedding preparations to the desires and arrangements of his future bride and her family. He traveled from the headquarters, uh, his headquarters to Albany. He was accompanied by his close friend and fellow aide, uh, Major James McHenry, who we already talked about. He gave that description of Elizabeth. Uh, the wedding ceremony was held at the Schuyler Mansion in the beautiful parlor, to the left of the entrance. It was a small family gathering which included a Dr. and Mrs. Cochrane who witnessed in Morristown Morristown the birth of the sincere affection and in love between their niece Eliza and Alexander. Now, the marriage was actually noted in the registry of the Reformed Church of Albany as Colonel Hamilton and Elizabeth Schuyler in And inspired by the lovely ceremony and infinite happiness of the young, beloved couple, James McHenry composed a poem for his friend on the day after the ceremony. God, that's so extra. You go, James McHenry. And uh, General uh, Slave Teeth George Washington uh, sent his greetings from New Windsor soon after the event, and here's an excerpt from uh, his well wishes. Uh, Mrs. Washington most cordially joins me in the compliments and congratulations to Mrs. Hamilton and yourself on the late happy event of your marriage and wishes to see both of you at headquarters. Now, after a short honeymoon, Alex returned to military service in early January 1781, and Eliza would follow him eventually and join him at New Windsor, where Washington's army was now stationed. Uh, she actually, while she was there, she rekindled her friendship with Martha Washington as they entertained their husband's fellow officers. Um, Eliza and Martha Washington would actually have, like, a really great friendship for many, many years to come. Now, soon after... Uh, Soon after that meeting with Washington, however, uh, Washington and Alex actually had a falling out. I don't really know, like, what that was about, but they weren't friends anymore. Uh, So the newlywed couple decided to move, first uh, back to Eliza's father's house in Albany, and then they moved to a new home across the river from the new Windsor headquarters. Now there, uh, Eliza would be busying herself creating a home for them and aiding Alexander with his political writings. Actually, parts of his 31-page letter to uh robert morris laying out much of the financial knowledge that was to aid him in his later career are in her handwriting and she would continue to do this for alex for pretty much most of her life all right it's time for babies now on the 22nd of january 1782 eliza gave birth to her and alex's first child and it was a boy that they named Philip, obviously, after Eliza's dad, because no one was original. Um, Now, Alex and Eliza had eight children altogether, and I'm not going to stop the story every five seconds to tell you she had another baby, because she had a lot of babies. So, I'm just going to tell you all their names right now, and the years that they were born. So, after Philip came Angelica, who was born in 1784, and obviously named, named after her aunt Angelica. Uh, also, side note about uh, Alexander and Eliza's uh, sisters. Eliza's sisters Peggy and Angelica were actually like bros with Alex, and like they wrote letters often. So it, you know, it's nice when your boyfriend gets along with your sisters. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, after Angelica was born, uh, Alexander Jr. was born in seventeen eighty six, and then James Alexander was born in. 1788, which gives me rage because they already had a boy named Alexander. Why would you name your second boy James Alexander? Anyway, uh, then there was John, who was born in 1792, who's named after uh, her brother John. Uh, I think this gap, this large gap between James Alexander and uh, John is because Eliza had a miscarriage in between, I believe. And then after, uh, John was William, born in 1797. I don't know why the gap is so big here, but I'm just glad our girl Eliza got a break. Uh, (laughs) then there was Eliza, which Eliza named after herself, uh, born in 1799. And after baby Eliza, they had one more kid in 1802. And his name... Kind of makes me laugh, and if you know anything about this family, you know exactly what kid I'm talking about. We're going to come back to that. I'm going to keep the kid's name a mystery box secret until we get to the point where he's born. Now addition in addition to their own children, in seventeen eighty seven, Eliza and Alexander took into their home uh Frances Antill or Fanny as she was known. Now she was uh the two year old l- youngest child of Hamilton's friend Colonel Edward Antill, uh whose wife had recently died, and in October that year, uh in Angelica, I believe that's in reference to Eliza's sister, Angelica wrote to Alexander, all the graces you have been pleased to adorn me with fade before the generous and benevolent action of my sister, taking the orphan until under her protection. Now, two years after Fanny, uh, went to live with the Hamiltons Colonel until unfortunately died in Canada. So Fanny continued to live with the Hamiltons for another eight years until an older sister was married and able to take Fanny into her home. Now later, uh, Uh, James Alexander Hamilton would write that Fanny was educated and treated in respects as Hamilton's own daughter. So they also had that kid to take care of. It's very nice that they took in that little girl. Um, Now, the Hamilton family actually had a very active uh, social life, uh, often attending the theater as well as various balls and parties. Eliza would once, once say many years later, I had very little of a private life in those days. Um, at the first inaugural ball, where George Washington was obviously elected president, um, Eliza danced with George Washington, and when, uh, Thomas Jefferson returned from Paris in 1790, she and Alexander hosted a dinner for him. Now, after Alexander became Treasury Secretary in 1789, her social duties would increase. Um, I found this quote that says, Mrs. Hamilton... Uh, Mrs. Sarah J. and Mrs. Lucy Knox were the leaders of the official society. Now, in addition uh, to all of this, she also managed their household. And uh, James McHenry, oh, he's back. Once noted that Alexander and Eliza had, sorry, noted to Alexander, sorry, that Eliza had as much merit as your treasurer as you have as treasurer of the United States. Um, Eliza would spend a lot of time helping Alex with his political career as well as raising her own children and obviously those political writings that we just talked about. Alright, let's get into the sticky situation of their marriage. The Maria Reynolds affair. Actually, I think it's pronounced Mariah. I think it's pronounced Mariah. Mariah Reynolds. Now, now that we've gotten through the nice and sweet part of Eliza, and Alexander's marriage, and as much as I love Alexander Hamilton, we have to talk about the Mariah Reynolds affair, which basically ruined Alex's chance at ever becoming president of the United States, and it also very much damaged Alex and Eliza's relationship. So, let's talk about how it went down according to Alexander himself, because, by the way, if you didn't know this, he exposed himself years later in a pamphlet, (laughs) ...called the Reynolds pamphlet. We're going to talk about it in a second. Now, here's what happened according to Alex. Now, Mariah Reynolds uh, came to his family home in Philadelphia... ...in about summer of 1791 and asked to speak to him in private. Now, the 23-year-old blonde presented herself as a damsel in distress... ...telling the Treasury Secretary that her abusive husband, James Reynolds... ...had left her and her young daughter to run off with another woman... Now, Mariah said she was destitute and asked for money to help her get to friends in New York. Now, at the time, Alex was at the height of his influence as the Treasury Secretary and could be considered the second most powerful man in the United States. Uh, Yet his outspoken style, he had a big mouth, uh, earned him many enemies, which, as a biographer Ron uh, Chernow had written, should have made him especially watchful of his reputation. But uh, clearly he wasn't. Uh, and yet, that night, Alexander took a 30-note bill to the rooming house where Mariah Reynolds was staying. She led him upstairs, and where, in his words, it was quickly apparent that other than personary, personary consolation would be acceptable. I'm not quite sure what that means. Other than, yeah, okay. Uh, after that, they began a sexual relationship meeting often at Hamilton's own home after his devoted wife, Eliza, took their children to visit their f- her father in Albany, which, oh, oh, gee, the rage this gives me reading about this. Like Alex, like how, how fucking could you do this to Eliza? She gave you a whole brood of children. She was nice and faithful and kind. Like what the fuck, Alexander Hamilton? Why? Okay, breathe. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little underlying anger I've had about <laughs> Alexander Hamilton for a while. Anyway, back to the story. Now, soon enough, uh, Mariah's sleazy husband, James Reynolds, uh, confronted Alex via letter and demanded $1,000, and I did the conversion, and that is the equivalent of nearly 25000 American dollars today, to keep quiet about the affair. Now, Alex paid the full amount in two ins- installments by January 1792. Sorry, but, uh... Mr. Reynolds stayed in Philadelphia despite his promise to leave town, and he even encouraged Alex to resume the affair with his wife, uh, who claimed to be devoted to her powerful lover. Now, that spring, uh, James Reynolds repeatedly asked uh, Alex for smaller amounts and loans until finally Alex stopped seeing Mariah for good in the summer of 1792. Now, that November, James Reynolds and his associ- associate jo- Jacob Klingman were arrested and imprisoned for their involvement in a scheme to defraud the government by posing as executors of a deceased Revolutionary War veterans to get their back pay. Now, while out on bail, Klingman approached his former employer, Frederick Muhlenberg, a congressman from Pennsylvania, and claimed that Reynolds had been involved in illegal in illegal speculation with none other than Alexander Hamilton. Now, with his two colleagues from Virginia, James Monroe, who I believe is a future president, uh, Abraham Van Bull and Muhlenberg visited James Reynolds in jail and Mariah Reynolds at her home and then went to Hamilton to confront confront him in person about these suspected illegal dealings, and to their surprise and embarrassment, Alex came clean not only about, uh, sorry, but not about the speculation, but about his extramarital affair instead of what he was being accused of, and he even shared the letters he received from both Mr. and Mrs. Reynolds. Now, Monroe, Muhlenberg, and Venville left convinced that Hamilton was innocent, of all the things they had come to accuse him of except for adultery and and supposedly promised not to say anything to anyone. But unbeknownst to Alex, Monroe sent copies of the documents Hamilton had shown them to Thomas Jefferson, and while John... Then the clerk for the House of Representatives also kept a copy. Now, over the next several years, uh, Alex retired from his cabinet post and went back to New York to his law practice. Uh, The Reynolds would eventually uh, split up with a certain man named Aaron Burr, ironically serving as Mariah's attorney. And Maria actually married that Klingman guy the same day her divorce became official. (laughs) Then, in the fall of 1796, in a series of essays that Alex wrote under the pen name Phoenician, uh, Alex decided to throw shade on Thomas Jefferson's private life, including a pretty big wink-wink-nudge-nudge nudge about his rumored relationship with one of his slaves, Sally Hemings, which we talked about a bit in the Sacagawea episode. You, sh- you should go listen to that one, it's a good episode. Um, <laughs> In response, uh, the scandal-mongering journalist James Callender struck back hard against Alex, because if you remember, Alex has a big mouth, and this got him in trouble. Uh, So James Callender uh, wrote in the summer of 1797 that not only did Alex have his own sexual indiscretions, but that Alex had used federal funds to illegally speculate in government securities with Mr. James Reynolds. Now, though John Buckley had likely given... Uh, James Calendar access to the documents after the Federalists fired him as a House clerk, Alex himself would blame James Monroe for all this. Now, the two men and the two men nearly got in a duel over it, and in another supreme irony, Aaron Burr interceded to talk them down. And for Eliza's part, she would apparently uh, carry a grudge for the rest of her life at James Monroe for this, because she thought he did it. Now, given the charges against him, Hamilton decided his best option was to come clean about his infidelity, so he could defend himself on the speculation charges, which were far more serious than adultery. Now, this would not only ruin his career, but permanently stain the Federalist Party in the U.S. Treasury. And to that end, in August, seventeen ninety-seven, he published what would be known as the Reynolds Pamphlet, which we already talked about, and in which he shared the details of his affair with Mariah, and the blackmail payments he made to James Reynolds, including excerpts from their letters. Now, while the Reynolds pamphlet successfully distracted from the more serious accusations against Alex, uh, the revelations of his affair humiliated his wife and pretty much permanently ended any hope that he had of becoming president of the United States. Like I said, if it wasn't for this pamphlet, they probably would have just wavered the fact that he wasn't born uh, in the colonies, and let him become president. Like it probably totally would have happened. Now, it didn't destroy his career like he thought, which I guess is good for him. But I can't imagine how betrayed in Eliza, sorry, how betrayed and hurt Eliza must have felt. I mean, at this point, they had been married for seventeen, seventeen long ass years, and he cheated on her. And I see he, how he clearly felt bad about it. I mean, that's why he admitted it to uh those people a couple years ago. Uh. The reason he um, released the Reynolds pamphlet was to kind of, like, save his own ass, but I feel like he did feel bad about it, but however he felt about it, it was still wrong, and he did it, and he was an asshole for doing it. Let's get into more sad stuff about Eliza, because le- it just kind of goes all downhill <laughs> from the Mariah Reynolds affair. I'm going to be real. Now, let's talk about the deaths of Eliza's son, Philip. So basically what happened was this dude named George Ecker had made a rather rude speech on the 4th of July, very harshly criticizing Alex, and baby boy Philip was not having anyone say any slander about his father. So in November, Philip and his bestie Richard Price barged into a box where George Ecker was enjoying a show, and they began taunting Ecker about his 4th of July speech, and I found a couple of quotes about it um as onlookers started to stare ecker asked the two young men to go into the lobby where he called the pair damned rascals tempers rose and although the trio went into a tavern in an attempt to settle the differences they failed miserably Now, later that night, Ecker had a letter from Price challenging them to a duel. Now, customs of the time meant Ecker had little choice but to accept or face social humiliation, which is dumb. It's like, it's like the bully challenging, uh, the nerd to a school fight and, like, if you don't show up, it's so humiliating. Now, um, Philip and mr price met that sunday in new jersey where the penalties for dueling were far less severe in new york like dueling was like a practice that was like slowly going out of fashion like the the reason people didn't do it very much was because the rules were so strict now um they exchanged shots without injury and considering the matter between them closed philip hamilton was not so lucky during his duel Now, cooler heads tried to negotiate a truce with Ecker's second, but their efforts were for naught, as the contemporaries say. Now, once the duel had been scheduled on November 23rd on a sandbar in today's uh, Jersey City, the elder Hamilton advised his son to preserve his honor and waste his first shot by either waiting until Ecker fired first or firing into the air, a move the French did called the Delope. Now, the intent was to cut the duel short, and if the other side fired to kill, plainly showed they had blood on their hands. Now, Philip seemed to follow his father's advice. For about a minute after the duel officially began, neither man made a move. And then Ecker raised his pistol, and Philip did too. Now, Eckhart fired and hit Philip, who shot back, though it may have been involuntary reaction to having been shot himself. Now, the bullet tore through philip's body and settled in his left arm now despite being rushed to manhattan he unfortunately passed away the next morning with both both his parents next to him now eliza was devastated at the death of her eldest son i mean he was only 19 years old i'm 19 in october i can't imagine dying at this age even though as a gen z i kind of want to die all the time um i can't imagine oh my god like the grief and not to mention, like, right after this, Eliza's eldest daughter, Angelica, kind of like had a mental breakdown after her brother died, and she went into what, uh, they call an internal state of childhood, so it was most- she was mostly unable to take care of herself. I didn't go into, like, what they did with Angelica after that, they probably, like, sent her somewhere to be cared for, or maybe somewhere else, I- I don't know what happened to her. All right. So, while this is sad, here's something a little bit funny. So, you remember how I told you about that last youngest kid that Eliza had? Now, we're finally going to talk about the kid, and I have kept you in suspense about his name. So, he was born about a year after this duel, where his older brother died. And they named him, drumroll please, da 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 Philip. They named him Philip. Because this family loves naming younger kids after dead siblings and dead ancestors. <sighs> and, like, I feel like, I feel like naming a kid after a dead sibling is, like, fine if, like, they didn't live very long. But, like, Philip lived to be, like, a whole ass 19 years old. <laughs> now they just have another kid named Philip. Now, after Big Philip's death, um, Alex and Eliza decided to have a family home built, and it was called Hamilton Grange, after the Scottish home of the Hamiltons. Now, they thought life would chill out, but it didn't, because in 1803, Eliza's mother died, and then the next fucking year, <laughs> Alex died too, and to add insult to injury, his death was a little familiar to Eliza. Now, why was that, you ask? Well, Alex died in a goddamn duel in the s- almost in the exact same place that their son died less than two years earlier. So let's talk about how another fucking member of this family died in a duel. Now, while Alexander Hamilton and Mr. Aaron Burr didn't like each other, it's kind of complicated, and I don't want to bore anyone... <laughs> with the politics and why they didn't like each other, but it mostly had to do with politics and honor and other stupid stuff like that. (laughs) Anyhow, they agreed to meet on the same dueling ground that Philip died at. Uh Actually, I'm not quite sure if it was the same. It was maybe it was like a stone's throw away or like pretty close. Anyway, now thanks to the records we have, we have some idea about what happened, but it seems that Burr was there to kill Alex, but Alex wasn't trying to kill anyone. He actually uh decided to take that advice that he gave his son about dueling, like just like not firing to kill. Now, Alex fired first, but he missed, probably on purpose, like I said, and Burr fired second, and he shot Alex in the hip, Alex was taken to the home of a guy named William Bayard, Jr., where he died, surrounded by Eliza and their remaining children, but in a really fun irony for, uh, Mr. Burr, Alex's son, Alex Jr., would actually end up defending Burr's wife in divorce court, like, 20 years later, and he won, so... Ha! Fuck you, Aaron Burr. Um, anyway, uh, Eliza's life was pretty sad after this. I mean, she was almost 50. I think she was about 47. And the bulk of her children were still pretty young, especially little Phil, who was like two. And almost right after Alex died, her father, Big Philip, her brother John, and her sister Peggy all died. And now that Alex was dead, she was having financial problems. Uh, She lost her house, but she was really, really lucky that the people handling his estate felt bad for her, that she was getting turned out of her home and repurchased the house for her and sold it to her at half price. She also began collecting Alex's pension from the army to support herself, but it wasn't much. She also had to uh, deal with Alex's uh, debts, which she couldn't really pay. Now, uh, you'd expect someone like Eliza to just, like, fade into widowhood like a whole bunch of other women did, but not Eliza, so let's talk about some of the great charity work she did and her commitment to Alex's legacy. Now, in 1806, two years after her husband's death, she, along with several other women, including Joanne Betsoon, founded the Orphan Asylum Society, which was, I believe, one of the first orphanages in New York City. Now, Eliza was p- appointed second directress, which was like a vice president, and in 1821 she was named first directress, and she served in this role for 27 years until she left New York in 1848. Now, by the time she left, she had been with the organization continuously since its founding, a total of 42 years, and she was 91 when she left. Now, the New York Orphan Asylum Society continues to exist as a social service agency for children today uh, called Graham Graham Windham, and Eliza's uh, philanthropic work in helping create the Orphan Asylum Society has led to her induction in the philanthropy section of the National Museum of American History, showcasing the early generosity of Americans that reformed the nation. Now, Eliza remained dedicated to preserving her husband's legacy. She reorganized all of Alex's letters, papers, and writings with the help of her son, John, and and persevered through many setbacks in getting his biography published. And with Eliza's help, John C. Hamilton would go on to publish History of the Republic of the United States as traced in the writings of Alexander Hamilton and his contemporaries. Now, History of the Republic would set the bar for future biographies of Alexander Hamilton that would grow as time went on. There's obviously a lot of biographies on that guy now. And she was very devoted to Alexander's writing. She, sorry, she was so devoted to Alex's writings that she wore a small package around her neck containing the pieces of a sonnet that Alex wrote for her during the early days of their courtship, which is so sad. Now, the writings that historians have today by Alex can be attributed to efforts from Eliza. Now, in June of 1848 when eliza was in her 90s she made an effort for congress to buy and publish her late husband's works in august her request was granted and congress bought and published alex's works adding them to the library of congress helping future historians of hamilton view his works today i'd love to go and see that stuff at the library of congress that's if I had to go to any library, it would be the Library of Congress. Now, along with getting Alex's work stored while she was in her 90s, she remained dedicated to charity work, and after moving to Washington, D.C., she helped Dolly Madison and Louisa Adams uh, raise enough money to build the Washington Monument, which I believe was built by slaves, which is not cool, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, Unfortunately for everyone. Eliza passed away on November 9th, 1854, and she was 97 years old. I mean, that is fucking bonkers. I mean, she was born in the middle of the French-Indian War, and she lived almost, like, six years shy of the Civil War. Like, what the fuck? Like, people did not live that long back then. She outlived all her siblings except for her little sister, Catherine, but to be fair they had a pretty large age gap between them. And she lived another 50 years after Alex died. Like, holy shit! Now, Eliza was buried at Trinity Church in New York near the grave of her husband, Alex. Um, alright. So, let's talk about Eliza's legacy, because it's clearly very large. i I actually didn't know that she lived that long, so when I was writing down the notes, I was like, oh god, this episode is going to be so long by accident, and I don't mean to make it so long, but hopefully it won't be that long when I finish recording it. Now, Eliza was so much more than the wife of a founding father. Rather than fading away into widowhood, look she could have done after Alex died. She was instead a kind and generous, generous soul who shaped the new American society along with other women like Martha Washington and Dolly Madison and Louisa Adams. Now she founded the first orphanage in New York, preserved her husband's legacy, whether he deserved it or not. She raised eight awesome children that she loved till the day she died and she can almost definitely thank her sons for the financial support from them that she received after Alex died and you know what I think I'm gonna write my own musical about Eliza because she is cool as fuck and I think she deserves her own musical it's been a pleasure learning about her this week cheers to Eliza founding mother of America uh if you're American have a great independence day bye guys Alright, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, If there's a certain thing that you want to hear, just, like, hit me up on uh, Twitter at Rain 2 Uh, The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2, just so you know that. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Bye!